your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, oh, we worship you, Jesus. Praise you, Father God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father God. Worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for your presence here tonight. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. Thank you, Father God, for that anointing, Father God, that's flowing right now in the congregation. Oh, we worship you, Jesus. We praise you, Father God. Glory to your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank worship you, you, Father God. You know what? Oh, we love you, Jesus. That's when you've got to trust in Him. It's during the trials. <laughs> when those trials come, that proves you if He's really your God. <laughs> and because that's that's the comfort that I could always find is Him. He was always there. And see, when you get a diagnosis, when you when things happen, when you don't have any finances, or what has something happens to your family or children, you know, go to him. Go to him. And you know, you've got to come to church too to to learn that to just to keep that up and to stay, make yourself stay full, full of God every single day. And then the trust is there. I trust in you, Lord, with all my heart. Amen. I'm not going to lean to my own understanding. And I acknowledge you, God, and you will direct my path in this trial. Amen. You can be seated. There's just a a little bit. I'm not going to take much time because I, you know, we want to have our speaker up here. Not okay. But I felt led. um, This was given to us. We've said that we've. Somebody said, well, you've entered a new room. Um, you're in your fourth phase, but you entered a new room. And I was like, when he said fourth phase, I went, Ugh. that's when Kenneth Hagin exited. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> I actually asked the Lord, I says, okay, well, am I going to be, I, I shouldn't have said it this way, but I, <laughs> am I going to be dead and gone and <laughs> to see things, you know, somebody else, you know, and keep make it big and going and and all of a sudden then that, that one Nancy Dufresne said and you will enjoy the fruit of it <laughs> you will sit and enjoy the fruit <laughs> okay <clears throat> okay but then this too was get, and this is all happening recently uh, it's first uh, Corinthians 169 for a wide door of opportunity did I wait? Did you want to put it up there? For a wide, this is in the Amplified. For a wide door of opportunity for effectual service has opened to me, there and a great and promising one, and there are many adversaries. I put defeated. <laughs> defeated adversaries. <laughs> it's an opportunity to produce results, an opportunity to help the community, an opportunity to grow, an opportunity, whatever it is. And there's many adversaries. Well, you know, after that, there was like a lot of physical attacks on me. Uh, Physical, I I just, uh, my energy level, I was just fighting it. Um, And I'll tell you what, it left on Monday morning. (laughs) And it was there. I was just fighting to come here, exhausted all the time. And I, I, is something wrong? And then headaches right there. And of course, the devil says, you have a brain tumor. You know, <laughs> you got this, you got that. Anyway, uh, it left. But that when one morning, I, it was on a Wednesday morning, and I, uh, 
I just was really alone with God, and um, I thought, I'm going to walk through that door. <laughs> and so I was sitting in the chair, and I got up, and I went through a you know, one of the doors of our house and just acted it out. And before I went there, I said, you adversaries, I'm going to step all over you. And I even did that and just walked through it, you know. And um, that was the Wednesday when in the middle of the sermon, I said to Sonia, I said, Sonia, look up Dr. Michael Jacobs. <laughs> We've got to have him here. Well, and then she had a report back that that um, that he couldn't come till next year. I thought, no, he can't. He's got to come. He's got to come. And you know what? Within a month, and we had other speakers, but we didn't care. We, you know, and he said he could come for those five times. That's the most we've ever had is a minister, not a speaker. They're not speakers. They're ministering to us. And and. Uh, and, and that was, then we heard the next day that he could come at this time. They had a, a little open space there. Praise God. And I know he had a busy schedule because I saw his schedule was every week. <laughs> Praise God. You've got the strength and energy to do that. Yes, from the Holy Ghost. And so I just know, you know, get all you can out, out of this. And I know you are. I know you're, you're all hungry. I can tell. And you're all excited. And, and you know what? What more exciting place could we be than here tonight? <laughs> you know, and I said this before once, but, but you know, people go out for food and drink, spirits. <laughs> but we got the real thing. The food of the everlasting word of God. The Spirit of God who is, uh, you know, can sustain us and keep us and, and we can trust in Him. Oh, glory to God. We are blessed. And so, you know what? We've been declaring the goodness of God, the presence of God, the, the power of God, the glory of God. And that's what the glory is in every one of our services. So just receive tonight from Doctor. You can come up. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. But Thank I know so there's much. something very supernatural about him coming right now. Thank <laughs> it you. is. It's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for well, coming. I've been We're refreshed. <laughs> yeah, I've been refreshed. Thank you. You can be seated a minute. I want to make a couple comments. It won't take me long. These are two more books that are brand new to me. They've just been out just a short while. How far does the blood go? This was revealed to me by Jesus himself back in the 90s. I was doing some teaching. I taught on blood covenant in the 80s. Uh, but this was just specifically on Jesus' blood, what it will really do. It goes, it goes into your past. It's in your uh, present. It's in your future. It'll do works in your spirit, on your soul, or your mind, your, you know, your will and your emotions and all that deal. And then your body. So it's a, I think it's a great book. I really wrote the thing. I mean, I had it on my notes, not verbatim like this, but in 1990. So this is a long way back, teaching on the blood of Jesus. But I just think it'll bless you. Here's some of the chapters. The dimensions of the blood. The blood breaks Satan's hold. How to activate the blood in your life. How to agree with what the blood says. And uh, the blood wiped out my past. 
Yeah, Pastor, Pastor Mark here, Dr. Owings, was preaching to us at lunch today about the blood covenant. It was excellent. And all that fits together, the blood covenant and the blood. But this was specific, Jesus' blood, what it'll do for you, and the fellowship of Jesus' blood. So that's what that book's about. And then God just gave me a statement. I don't know how many years ago it's been, maybe 10, I don't remember. Uh, somebody's anointed to help you. And you need to realize that for everything you do. If you need a new dentist, then figure it out. If you need to know where to shop, figure that out. I mean, it's, it's not just like a real spiritual, but there's somebody anointed to help you. When I print books and stuff, I've got some help from my people that work for me. But, we, you know, we just figure it out. Somebody out there is anointed to help me. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just talking to you a minute. And you're somebody anointed to help you. That's what you need to know. In every dimension, I mean, just every dimension of your life, somebody is anointed to help you. You know, I don't want to get long and drawn out on the books. But now this is the book that I took the most heat over. Spiritual fathers or spiritual failure. Everybody wanted to know about angels when I published that. Oh, it's great. Then I published a book about demons and about half the crowd. Kind of like that. Half was scared of it and scared of me. I don't know why. Why would you be scared of somebody that's defeated? <laughs> I don't get it. Like remember Big Mouth, he's defeated. Uh, anyway. But uh, I, I, I learned a lot of this from Dr. Dufresne. I didn't know anything about spiritual fathers or sons when I met him. Not a thing about it. I, and I just kind of watched him. And I watched what sons did for him. And I saw what other sons did to him. And uh, uh, I'm just talking. But this book explains to you what is a spiritual father. People act like it's some kind of cultish book. You know, remember Acts, I'm going to get to that today, tonight, later in Acts 2.17. It says, your sons and your daughters. They are God's sons, but it's not what that says in Acts 2.17. It says, your sons and your daughters. They'll prophesy or they'll move in the spirits, what I say. It's more generic than... Anyway, natural families and spiritual families, true sons and daughters. So it's really important because, you know, when you read that, you ought to judge yourself if you're a real son and daughter or you just attend church. You can attend church, you can give a tithe in a church, you could be halfway faithful to the church and still never connect with your spiritual parents. Yeah, I'm preaching real good, I know. And uh, some of my closest friends left me over this book because they got mad at me. But, uh, you know, it's just the way it goes. God, God told me I was, I was premature, I mean, in the timing of the thing, but he, then he stopped and he said, but I want you to write it, Michael. You're going to take a lot of heat over this book, but don't let it bug you. They'll, those that understand faith will catch up with you eventually and realize you need a spiritual father. In the local church, it's automatic. If you're in the right church, these are your parents. And, you know, I, I guess I would say if you're not, you need to find the right church. Because you won't really be a blessing if you're not connected to them correctly. And that's chapter four, being properly connected, not just attending, not just putting some money in the plate, recovering lost ax heads. Of course, I go back to the prophet in that and how, you know, he said this was borrowed and I lost this ax. I'm, oh no. But I say the spiritual father help you get your edge back and be in your own company and then honor the gifts. And chapter eight was another book that I wrote, uh, but after this on impartations which I had with me last night that I read some prophecies out of this is a good book but this book really in essence what it does it's going to help you grow up or get you mad and I could care less what it does 
I'm just telling you, you need to read it and evaluate yourself a little. You know, it's not up for your pastors to make your decisions for you to be a good son or daughter. I have a lot of people that, some people call me Deb, but they're not any more son than I'm an astronaut. And if they ask me, I'll tell them. You know, I'm not playing with you. You know, I'm not trying to entertain you. I'm not trying to collect people. I'd just like to say some truth like that so you understand how I feel about the whole thing. But I'm not playing or shirking my responsibility either as a father. There's a lot of responsibilities that, like when you have four or five babies, you got a lot of responsibility. And you got to take care of those babies and feed them, correct them, and grow them up and all that. Uh, I think I'm going to forego this for the moment. These are prophecies that I have. I have them written down. I, this is a newer sheet, I, the one that broke in two there. I had them reprint all this. When I've been with Dad Dufresne, Pastor Nancy, all over the world and different things. Anyway, it's just, and what the Lord told me about this is, let, let me say something about prophecies. When you're like me and you get to be a person that understands a little bit, this doesn't mean what it used to mean to me. Like, oh, I got a word. It, what this really means to me is more responsibility and more work. That's all it means. So if you think, well, I don't have a sheet like this. Well, you do. You don't have a sheet like this, but I think your pastor, I think she has a written vision for this church. You should take her vision, if you're a member here, and read it and pray that with her over that. You don't have to be with her to pray it, but in your own prayer time, praying that. And the Lord said to me, these things here that have been spoken to you by people you trust. I would have had 10 pages if I just took everything everybody said to me, but... I don't know what's with people. They always want to prophesy over me. They don't know what they're talking about. But with people I trust, then the Lord said, this will be a blueprint for your life. See, if I get, to, if I get very far away from the thrust of what, I, what my mantle is, I'm in trouble. And my finances dry up, and also I have symptoms. And I learned that from my spiritual father. So, so I got to kind of stay on track. And keep my hands on people more than I would have if he hadn't had to deal with me three times about it. Yeah. Let me just say that. You know, I don't know if you realize if you're really sincere with God, you would want him to speak into your life. Especially if you're missing it. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. I missed it a lot of times. But with laying on the hands, I would do that for a season. Then I'd draw back. And I wouldn't do that for a month or two or maybe three or four. And he would say, Michael, I told you to put your hands on people. What's your problem? And I would start crying. I'd say, Father, I'm so sorry I didn't realize I was doing that. I, I know you didn't realize. I want you to realize it. So I went on then, and I started doing that again. And then four, five, six, eight months later, I pulled back again. So the third time he came to me, he was ticked off. He said, he said listen, what is your issue here? Get, get over yourself. Get over your insecurity. I don't care. What, you just straighten it out. And then he said this at the end. I don't want to have to ever deal with you again in this planet while you're alive in this planet, I better not have to come back and talk to you about this a fourth time. I said, I got it. <laughs> so, you know, and that's just the way God uses me. So I, I have to flow with what he's told me to do. Somebody else, it may not be that way. And I know Richard Roberts, I talked to him. I've just seen him minister before. I, I've just talked to him on the phone. I've never had him in my church. But... Um, 
he gets he gets impressions in his body like his wrist starts hurting. He'll say, somebody's got a left wrist that's messed up. <laughs> and, and they may stand up and he speaks to it and it goes. Yeah. But with me, normally it's a word of knowledge in a little different format. See, you could still operate in the same gift, but a different form, a different administration of it, where God says to me, put your hands on people when you get something to, and you know, you have, it's important to do that, yeah. for me to do that, because <laughs> I have a tangible anointing. And Brother Hagen and Lester Summerall, a good example of that, Dr. Summerall didn't understand that. Oh, yeah, because Dr. Dufresne was with him when Brother Hagen was on the platform, it took four men to carry him off, and Brother Summerall said, huh. That anointing don't make you weaker, it makes you stronger. See, now listen to me, I'm not making fun. Both those men are giants in my thinking. And, uh, you know, you have to realize they, they function differently. I'd say Smith, uh, Smith, well, Doc Summerall had more like Smith Wigglesworth in him, and as I studied him, he was just a raw faith man. But now, Brother Hagen, Dr. Dufresne, myself, I have a tangible anointing, it's in my hands. And so that's why God dealt with me three times in a row in about a two-and-a-half-year period. And then he, at the end, he said, I want to have to talk to you about this again. Do you understand me? Yes, sir, I understand you. And I was crying, you know, and upset with myself that I'd let him down because he was, he was uh, offended, kind of, that I wasn't doing what he told, him, told me. But you just had to realize your obedience is key to everything. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, let's, let's go over here to 2 Corinthians uh, to start over here, I lay a little foundation, if that's okay, it'd be helpful. I'm not going to do a whole, like, an hour teaching on uh, visions. There's a lot could be said. I may do it different in the future. But Second Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, I want to look at two or three scriptures to kind of lay a foundation for what I'm talking about. Now, let me quote something else here while I'm thinking. It just came back to me. Genesis 15.1 it talks about uh, Ab uh, Abraham, and it says, The word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision. Now, I know typically this is the way all believers believe. The word of the Lord comes through that, through the Bible. And that's true, it does. That's the primary way. But he could also speak to you in a vision form where you have different characters or different scenario, and you're looking at it, and he shows you how to deal with it or what to say about it or how to whatever you need to do. So the Lord can, but again, I gave you those sheets yesterday. I hope you have it still, or you could ask somebody if you don't have one after the service and usher, how to judge a experience like that. You can't just absorb everything that comes down the pike. That's another reason I don't go to too many meetings at all anymore because I'm not going to confuse my spirit. I know what I'm called to do, and I just stick with primarily Dr. Dufresne, he's not even here in the natural, he's gone, but his voice is still here, kind of like an Abel thing. He's still speaking. <laughs> anyway, no, I'm not worshiping anybody that's dead. I'm following in him because he, he has anointing for my mantle, and he, when he speaks to me, it feeds my mantle, like, like nobody else on the planet does. I've been willing to go submit to somebody, and God said, no, I don't want you to do that. All right. So let's look at this scripture. This is Paul writing. He was an apostle, a, a prophet, a teacher. He was a lot of things. But anyway, here in verse 1, he says, If it is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory, I will come to visions, notice that plural, and revelations of the Lord. Now, the way I separate it in my thinking is 
a vision is a vision. Now, there's all different types of vision. You could have a vision with your eyes wide open, and you could see into the spirit world. Sometimes I do when I minister to people, but that doesn't happen all the time and every day. Then it could be a vision where you have your eyes closed and you're still seeing something. And I'll share some of that at least tomorrow. I'll see where I get tonight. I'm going to share four visions with you tonight. Then tomorrow, another four, I think. But he said, visions is one thing, but a revelation is like, you could study all the same scriptures on angels, but by now, because of all my study time over the years, accumulative, I have a revelation of angels. I don't just teach it, I have a revelation. And God has privileged me, for what reason, I couldn't tell you. But he has allowed me to see into the spirit. He's given me visions and visions. And, more, and when the older I get, it seems like the more I have. And uh, I've already told this once and told it again. You know, the Lord asked me when I was 60, that was 12 years ago, I want you to start sharing on some of your visions. And I said, I'd really rather not do that. And, of course, he knows why. <laughs> He's kind of funny to me in a little bit. And he said, I want you to tell me why. I said, and I said, well, you already know, but I'll tell you again. I said, I never talked to another human being about my wife and I when we were married about our romance or anything like that because it was none of their business between me and her and you. And you're asking me to get up in front of total strangers most of the time and share this. People don't know me, don't have any clue who I am. And to kind of empty out my heart of these holy moments. Now, you have to think about what I'm saying to understand what I'm feeling. And it wasn't that I didn't want to share it, but, you know, I put that out there and everybody's got a right to have an opinion and judge me and be critical of me and, you know, stuff like that. That doesn't sound like a lot of fun to me. And then I read Brother Hagin's book on the ministry of the prophet. It was a thin little book about the size of my Bible, not the thickness of it, just about that same size. And I was totally discouraged when I read his book. <laughs> Now, I'm not putting down Brother Hagin. He was a prophet and a major prophet in our country. But at the same time, he was just very forthright in that book. He said, if you're a prophet, you're going to be different. And you're going to be uh, perceived different. And so most people can't handle that. And a lot of them get critical and jealous and mean, spirited, malicious towards you. I said, thanks a lot. (laughs) Not to Brother Hagin and to Jesus. You know, he said, I was called to be a prophet. So I'm trying to fulfill that. Anyway, thank you. I appreciate it. And, and people, he says here, verse 2, I, this will come to light as we get into these visions, verse 2 and 3. I knew a man in Christ, I think he's talking about himself, above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. Such a one caught up to the third heaven. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth. Now, this is my point to you. When I'm out of my body and having visions, which I do frequently, not all the time do I get out of my body, but for the most part, I'm still Michael. I just want to state that to you. And you talk about feeling alive. You feel more alive than you've ever felt in this flesh. And so I, when I used to read that, I thought, what is he talking about? In the body, out of the body? Then I started having visions, and then I got out of my body. I looked back and saw my physical body. I just left it. And I'll talk about some of that in just a minute. It's, a, it's an unusual feeling. And, but see, I'm still Michael. <laughs> I can see, I can hear, all the above, you know, even more sharply than when I was in this flesh body. And he always sends two angels to help me when I leave because the body without the spirit is dead. One of them has this arm, one of them has another, and they keep my body functioning. Don't ask me how they do it. I'm just telling you what I know. I've seen it with my own eyes. 
And I asked the Lord about it, and that's, his, that's what he told me. Would you ever realize if you leave your body, you're gonna fall, your body's going to fall over, and if it, it lays there too long, you're not coming back, probably. Because <laughs> your brain dies and your heart stops. So this will mean something to you if you're listening to what I'm going to talk to you about. Now, let's go, uh, let's go to Acts 2, and sister in the sound booth, if you'll pull Acts 2, 17 up for us on the Amplified, I would really appreciate it. Acts 2.17. I'm going to read from the King James first, and then when she puts that up, uh, you know, I'm going to read that to you. But it shall come to pass, Acts 2.17, I'm still talking about visions. It'll come to pass in the last day, saith God, I'll pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters, I just told you that, shall prophesy, or I would like to say move in the spirit. And your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. But that doesn't say it as good as the Amplified, which is more accurate to the Greek. Uh, it shall come to pass in the last days, God declares, I'll pour out of my spirit upon all mankind. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, telling forth divine counsels. And your young men shall see visions, this is it right here, divinely granted appearances. In other words, if God doesn't grant it, you're not going to get it. And it's up to God to decide that. And so, you know, my little granddaughter, I, I don't think I told, I told you that maybe, Pastor, but my little granddaughter, she's nine now. She was about five, maybe six. I don't know. She's in a preschool at a Lutheran church. And so she calls me on the phone. Grandma answered. My wife was alive then. She said, it's Natalie. She wants to talk to you, Papa. I said, hi, honey. What's up? Mommy said, you see angels. Is that right? <laughs> yes, sometimes. Uh... I want you to tell me how to see angel. Now listen, I don't, I don't bull jive anybody. I don't care who it is. And I said, honey, I don't have the authority to do that. And, she, and what was amazing, her, she quit. She is kind of a jabber. And she listened like a real adult to me when I was talking. I said, you'll have to talk to Jesus about that, honey. He's the only one I know can give you authority to see into the other realm. And I, then she went on. She said, well, Mommy says you have a book, and I don't have your book. What's the matter? And I said, I, I didn't know you wanted one. Do you even read? Nope, not yet. But Mommy said she would read it to me. <laughs> so the next time she got in my vehicle, she said, where's my book? I said, I'm going to run up to church and get you one. I, I, don't, I don't even have one in my study, I don't think. <laughs> and then, then she, uh, let's see, what else? Is she, so it was show, uh, share... What do you call that show and tell at school? Yeah. <laughs> That's a classic. She said, uh, Papa, I told my teacher all about you. And I said, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, my grandpa, he sees vision. He sees angels. And they call him the angel man. <laughs> and I knew what the answer was going to be. And I said, what did your teacher say? <laughs> Nothing. I don't know if she just didn't know nothing. That would be my thinking for most people, whatever denomination you're out of. And, uh, but to redeem the Lutherans, I read a book on them about five years ago, and 300 years ago when they took people through the new members class, they also ministered deliverance to every new member that came into that church. Of course, I'm strong in deliverance. I have been even longer than an angel's. I've been casting devils out of people for 40, 44 years or whatever it's been. And had success. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thrilled. And I, anyway. 
So it's a divinely granted thing. I explained that to my daughter, my, my granddaughter. And then I said, well, let me ask you a final question here a minute. Why are you, what's all this interest in you about angels for? What's the, what's the background of that? Tell me. Well, I want to pray for my friends, Avery and Bella. He's a one black girl, one white girl in my church. And they're all buddies, you know. And so I said, well, can you follow me in a prayer? Yeah. I said, in, in Jesus' name, she repeated, Father, I just pray for their angels, Avery and Bella's, to keep them safe today in the name of Jesus. And she said it with I said, there you go. You just did. That's all you need to say every day. Until you know more, just say that. And then you're helping your little girlfriends to have protection, and you're agreeing that what they have angels to protect them. She seemed happy with that. I'm glad. But she didn't have 10 more questions. I don't know. She's a sweetheart. So we're, you have to realize this, that these are divinely granted. I, and I'm just saying this to tell you, me, I never asked to see anything ever, even when I first got saved. And I mean, I was over in another world as a drug addict and a drug dealer. I mean, I was over in darkness way out here. And I'll talk about that uh, in just a few minutes. I'll tell you a little more about myself. It's not very edifying, but it just shows you how far God could take you. But now, just remember verse 17, it's a divinely granted appearance. You can't just say, well, I'm spiritual. I'm going to have a vision. Father, show me something. And you're liable to get deceived praying like that because there's also... Uh, fallen angels and they can turn into what looks like an angel of light yeah. but they're when they start talking they're going to say something silly to you or foolish or even destroy your life by telling you to divorce your, your wife or your husband and run off with somebody else because that's the way the devil thinks corruption destruction <laughs> yeah so anyway so let's go to acts 26 now i'm just about done with my introduction i mean we could spend more time but I think this helps us a little bit. Uh, it's uh, Acts 26, verse 19. And Paul is trying to witness to King Agrippa on his way to Rome. And he says, uh, verse 19, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. So I saw from that, if I have a vision that comes to me and God like he did in my life, he said, I want you to share at least some of the vision. You don't have to share every vision. I will speak to you about which ones to share. And I mean, I probably have a lot of others. I don't have them all written down. I have them in here. Some of them were just a momentary thing. You know, like I was in Texas preaching one time. It's been a long time now. Uh, well, not being in Texas, but being at this pastor's church. I haven't been back since. But uh, I had a word about nightmares. And that's the first time I ever had that word. And I had it last night, I think, here. And I've had it since then several times in different locations. So it was about eight people came. And I just took them by the head and I said, I break that thing over your life now and command you to sleep well and sleep at peace. And I went all the way down to the end. The last person I, pr I prayed for was a lady. She was about, I'm thinking, 33, something like that. So I laid hands on her. But when I laid hands on her, I went into the spirit deeper. And I looked inside of her and I saw this evil spirit in her. I wasn't there to deal with that until I saw it. Then I'm responsible. Yeah. So I didn't want to say anything because I knew it. Listen to me. I knew by the Holy Ghost it was something to do with immorality. What I didn't know was whether somebody forced themselves on her or she was self-doing things. Or I don't know for sure what direction that meant, but it was immoral. And so I've dealt with it, uh, the 
nightmares first. And then I looked right at her and said, I'm go- I see something, I'm going to deal with it. Yeah. And I got you, listen, you're okay. Because I knew what was going to happen. So I said, Jesus, I yelled, Jesus, come out of her. She started having like a little seizure. I'm, they've done it to me for sure. 100 people. Yeah. Their eyes roll back in their head and they start shaking. Yeah. I just kept my hands on her head like that, kind of firmly. I said, I got you, you're going to be okay. Just hang on a minute. Then the spirit left her. Then, then, you know, I'm going to the back room. To, the pastor said, why don't you and so-and-so go back to the green room and have something to eat? And this lady had got the pastor aside after the service stopped and told him this story. She said, when I was a young girl, my father began to do things to me inappropriately when I was nine years old. And he said, if you ever tell mother, I'll kill you and her. Well, you got to freak a little girl out. Besides that, the man that should be the most protective to his daughters or sons either are doing crazy stuff. And, and uh, so she said, I got to bed about 17. I had a nervous breakdown and said, I went and told my mother. And they got divorced. And then she said, because I'd been abused, I went to a club and became a dancer because I knew I could make a lot of money. Do I need to tell you the rest of that statement? Doing whatever, you know, with their clothes off. And she said, and then I... I fell in love with this man who goes to this church, and I got saved myself. But she said, tell doctor, and I've had two children, so I didn't like I couldn't be with my husband, but I never felt clean until Dr. Jacobs dealt with that spirit. When it left me, I felt like I was just clean. Just like God just poured cleanser on me and cleansed me from top to bottom and said it changed me. And what if I hadn't saw that? Or what if I saw it and said, I'm going to deal with that? Now, I didn't say what I told you publicly. I didn't say this girl's got an immoral problem. I didn't do that. I don't do that to people. I don't care what I would see. I'm not into embarrassing people. I'm into trying to help them. But she told that story to her pastor. and He told me on the way to the airport the next day the whole thing. I said, well, praise God. I'm glad it helped her. So you have to be obedient, though, back here. To the heavenly vision. You have a vision from heaven. You have to start being obedient. So I was born 1949. Uh, and uh, my dad left when I was born. My real father. My mother was single. And she and my grandma raised me. And when I got about uh, mm, between two and a half and three years old. My mother noticed my knees were knocking on the inside when I would walk. And it became more pronounced. So she took me to Barney's Children's Hospital in Dayton, Ohio. We lived in Fairborn about ten miles away. And Dr. Barney was my doctor then, and he checked me, and he said, my mother's name's Joyce. He said, Joyce, your son has the worst case of rickets I've ever seen in my life. And he probably will have to go from these braces. I have them uh, from the waist down. They had a shoe attached to the bottom and a little thing that, where you could bend your knee. But he said he's never to take them off except when he bathes. That's it. Let him sleep in it. Let him wear them every day in, day out. And we maybe, could, maybe eventually he could get some help, but I don't know what to tell you to do for him. Well, my mother was traumatized by that. Her little boy, and I was the firstborn, uh, was a little cripple boy like Forrest Gump. Run, Michael, run. You remember they said Forrest, run, Forrest. <laughs> it was me, just like those braces. I have them in my office at home. I started to bring one to show you, but I think you trust me. And uh, so I was, see, I think I was five. So my, my mother married a man named Jacobs. That's not my real last name, but I had it changed myself when I was 18 because he was the only father I had, and he helped raise me, and he's a good man. Yeah. And so uh, they're married, and I, we moved to Springfield, Ohio, which is just 10 miles the other way from Dayton, so it's probably 20 miles from Dayton, 10 from Fairborn. That's where I grew up in Fairborn, Ohio. 
and we, we were living in a home in Springfield, Ohio. I'll never forget it. And I was in bed. I had my own bedroom. And I had big windows in my bedroom, two of them, like where this gentleman's sitting, like that top part of that window and the top part. Not at the bottom. It's got a screen or something down there. But it, and I woke up, and I went to the window, and there stood this angelic being in the driveway about 12 feet from me, like maybe from me to Pastor Ken, about that far away. And my book on angels, the gold book, if there's any left, it's got a picture of an angel that looks similar in what he's wearing, and he had a rod that seated him about two feet, and he's holding on to it like that, and he's looking right at me. And except the angel I saw was a lot older than the one on my book. My associate found that on the Internet said, you could use it for free if you want, Dad. I said, well, put it on there. It's a nice picture, but the face of that angel looked so young. This, this man looked very elderly. He didn't look weak. He just looked elderly. And so I'm thinking, I'm standing there in front of the window. He's 12 feet away from me. He's partially translucent. I can vaguely see some bushes that are planted on the other side of the driveway. I could loosely see there was something, but I couldn't see it clearly, but it still there was an image. And I'm thinking, I wanted to say, who are you? Are you Jesus? Are you an angel? What are you? you know, and I couldn't talk. You know, the Bible says, fear not. And the Bible, in some cases, says, I couldn't speak. And so I couldn't talk at all. And I'm looking at him, and I'm, I don't know how long I stood there, maybe three or four minutes. I don't think I can think I need to go get my mother. <laughs> so I went into her bedroom. She's sleeping on this side of the bed, and I grabbed her hand and just jerked like that. And she realized she needed to get out of there with me. And I brought her back over here, back in my room, stood her beside me, and she's standing there right there, and she looks at him. She can't talk either. So we look at each other a couple of times like, well, uh, what are we going to do? And I, we stood there for maybe, maybe five or six minutes. I couldn't tell you. Now, there was no exchange of words. This is my first vision. I'm five years old. I'm wearing braces while, I, while I'm seeing this. And it was no sounds, but if there were a sound, it was, and now I would say it was the anointing on this creature, this being. He, what, he didn't scare me, but he, he didn't talk. But it was like this, if I could demonstrate it. It's like this energy field coming off of him in waves. It's like the anointing going... It shook my insides. And then like another way, and like a that's the only way I could just it didn't sound like that, but I don't know how to explain it. You know, when you have visions, try to explain it in English, it seems like you're struggling to find the right word. And that went on for maybe five minutes. I don't remember it. I don't remember how many times and I just felt vibrated on the inside. Now I realize it was the anointing of some sort from him. And my mom and I, we didn't talk at all. We didn't even talk to each other. We just, she went back to bed and I went back to bed. You know, I don't know, maybe you'd have figured it out, went to the driveway and tried to get a pizza for him. I don't know what you're thinking. <laughs> I'm just teasing. There wasn't nothing to do or say because I couldn't talk. If I would have talked, I would have said, who are you? <laughs> and it was years and years and years later before I asked the father when I began to study on and didn't even do it then, later. I mean, the last 25, 30 years, I said, I want to know what, who that angel was in, when I was five. I thought he was going to say what I thought he said, and he did. That's your personal angel assigned to you as a child. And he's still with you. So, now, whether he came through the window, you know, they go right through walls and windows and doors without opening anything. I'll share that more as we get on. Uh, 
he could have came in the bedroom and then went back to stand in the driveway and touched my legs, but I don't remember feeling anybody put hands on me or anything when I woke up. I just woke up and I was like wide awake. It's the middle of the night, it's pitch black out. Other than him standing there, he's kind of partially glowing, I would say. That's the way I would. Now, you know, I could see him glowing, people going by, maybe they didn't see a thing. Because sometimes the visions in the Bible, Daniel and different ones were having, and the people with them didn't hear anything, and, and somebody's talking to Daniel, you know. And I'll talk about that further. But he could have came in after I laid back down and touched me, but whatever happened, my mother took me back to Dr. Varney within a month after that event, and Dr. Varney took my braces off, said, Joyce, you got a miracle. So something happened. Something happened to me that I... And I think that's what happened because that angel brought a healing element of some sort to my life. I played football, I ran track, you know, stuff like that. All right. So that, that was 67 years ago. But when you have experiences like that, it's just, it, they're eternal. When you go back and think about them sometimes, I do, and think about them. And well, did I get everything that I should have got from that experience? And even though he didn't talk, he conveyed something to me. All right. Now, let me move ahead to um, October 1971. Let's go over to the book of Revelation, chapter 8. Um, I hope uh, you're understanding what I'm saying. I'm trying to make it simple if I can. And again, I didn't ask for this. But anyway, in 1971, I was a full-blown drug addict and a drug dealer. Uh, and I lived on a farm in Ohio. It, right outside of Fairborn, with uh, there was twelve other guys in this farmhouse, and only one had only one was working a regular job. All the rest of us were drug dealers, and we had a massive amount of drugs all the time, and a massive amount of armory, <laughs> guns everywhere. Oh, my gosh, I don't know. You know, I wasn't thinking that it was going to get like that, but as you got into drugs, as I got into drugs, I said, well, I, I'm going to do this, but I'm not going to do anything else. I'm going to smoke some dope, and that's it. Then I started taking, you know mescaline and paper, paper microdot acid and, and all kinds of barbiturates and, and amphetamines and other drugs that I don't even remember. Uh, and then I said, well, one thing, I'm never going to put a needle in my arm. And before the month was over, I was shooting up. And then I just became a full-blown drug addict. And, uh, and my addiction was to methadrine, which is speed. I lost 80 pounds in those three years. And so, you know, I'm just becoming more and more bizarre. And uh, I got saved in 71, but this was in October of 71. There was 13 of us living in the farmhouse, but there was five of us, four other men and myself. But we drove to California to get some, we were going to get some fresh people we could deal drugs with from California. Before that, we got them from different places in Indiana and different states around us. So we get out there, of course, we're going broke quick. We didn't have a lot of money, and we sure didn't carry our guns in the truck because if we got stopped by the police, they'd want to know, you got a permit for that? And I know you don't have permits for sawed-off shotguns. That's what I had. And so, uh, you know, we didn't do that because we didn't want to go to jail. We wanted to try to make it to California. Well, we got out there, and we, we bought some dope from somebody, and we went across the hall. And I was staying in a tenement house on Venice Beach, just a half a block off the beach in California, Venice Beach, California. It's famous for roller skater people and hippies and just stuff like that. I was not a hippie then. I started out as a hippie, but I became something different. And uh, 
So we're living in a tenement. It's like a bad movie. I'm, gonna, I'm not trying to embellish anything. I'm just telling you like it was. It was one of those movies where you see guys walking down the hall with a trench coat, and they kick the door open, they've got shotguns, and bam, 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 just shoot everybody and leave it. Just leave. Take the dope and the money and bye. Yeah. I mean, it just seemed like that to me. I didn't hear any gunshots there, but it was just a low-life place. I got up one day and counted the cockroach bites on my left leg. I had 55 cockroach bites on one leg. That gives you an idea of where I was at in my head, you know, just filth and stuff. And so we, we borrowed a guy's fit across the hall. And later I found out I had I had, had hepatitis, uh, probably from his fit or somebody else's fit I used. You know, when you're a drug addict, you're just so beside yourself. I mean, I was. So anyway, let me, re- let me read this verse before I go any further. And then I'll explain to you the vision I had at that, that tenement house. Uh, Revelation chapter 8, verse 3 through 5. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. And there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. All this is a heavenly vision we're seeing. And that angel's taking the prayers that come up to God and putting it in a censer. And then it says, And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer and filled it with fire. Now he's mixing something from heaven with those prayers. And he takes that uh, thing and throws it back into the earth. And there were voices... Thunderings, lightnings, and earthquake. And the first one is the key, voices. So what happened was there was five of us, and I don't know how it ended up this way, but I was the last one to go in there and shoot up. And, I mean, it was such a little place. I was sitting on the toilet not using it just to make you understand. But I had to sit there because I had to heat my dope, and I put the tourniquet on, and I shut myself up, undid my tourniquet, and all of a sudden there went a cockroach up the wall. And I'd had a dream about that that past summer. In fact, back in July of 71, I died. I left my body. I'd been on a drug run for three weeks. And I said somebody in the house, hey, somebody get Gary. He was my best friend there. And he came in the room with me, and he could, I could tell he freaked out. He couldn't find my pulse, and I couldn't find my own pulse. But I could tell he was upset, not with me. He just, I'll be right back. And then he left me, and I thought, oh, don't leave me right now. <laughs> I'm struggling to stay in my body. Anyway. So he put me in his truck and drove me to his mother and dad's house and set me at the kitchen table, for, of all things. His mom and dad were Christians. They weren't spirit-filled people. And after a couple of hours, I guess he realized I'm not going to die, or he thought I wasn't, and put me back in the truck and drove me back to the farm. Because here's what happens. If I lay there and die, he's going to have to call the morgue <laughs> or throw me in a ditch <laughs> so they won't investigate us. But, you know, the police already knew we were dealing. One detective sat down with us one day and told us you better watch your P's and Q's because there's people in the department like to kill you because we were drug dealers, you know, for the city. You know what I mean? That's a bad way to live. I, won't, I don't encourage that. So I go back home and I laid down on the floor. I didn't even lay on my mouth. I just laid straight back. And all of a sudden I came out of my mouth. I started floating up to the ceiling. And I looked back down. There I am, but I'm dead. Now my body's lifeless. And all of a sudden I saw a hand come up like this. My spirit was going like and shoved my spirit back in my body. I came in through my mouth like Brother Hagin says, like he put on a glove or a boot. And when I finally got back in my body, I went, oh my God, what happened to me? I think I just died. 
And of course, the Lord told me two or three years later after I got saved, started in the ministry, he said, you remember the night in the, your bedroom at the farm? I said, I sure do. And I, it was you, wasn't it, with your hand? I couldn't tell who it was. Just saw a hand come out and push that back. He said, I saved you that night so you'd preach, so you'd make it to be able to be a preacher. Anyway, so now let's move it forward. I'm in California. I'm, I'm in the bathroom. I'm shooting up. And all of a sudden, the shower curtain, my knees are right up against the bathtub. That's how, it's just, a, it's funky, and everything's small. And all of a sudden, the shower screen becomes a projector screen, and, I, and it's me, and it's my life on film. I don't know how he did that. And he was showing me my life as a young child up to where I was in. And he said, Michael, your life's going down the toilet. I said, yeah, I realize that. But he said, Michael, go home. Now, I knew he didn't mean come home to him because, first of all, I didn't know him. Secondly, I'd already died that summer, and I knew he didn't mean that. I just knew intuitively. I don't know how I know it. Sometimes you just know things down here. Your brain doesn't connect with it. Your brain just would have a hernia if it tried to figure it out. And so he said, I want you to, he said, come home, Michael. So I went in the other room after all that had taken place. And I go in there, and they're all sitting around. They're high. They've already shot up, and they're, it, the drugs, you know, it takes four seconds from there to there to get to you. That's why I preferred to shoot if I could. But I was wrong all around. I'm just killing myself. Anyway, I go back out there, and I said, I'm going home tomorrow. And those guys just ridiculed me, and they said, you need to shut the blankety-blank up, or we're going to get you, stand up and shut you up. I said, well, you can if you want. You could try but I said, something happened to me in that bathroom. And God visited me. That's all I know to tell you. And then all of a sudden, instead of being defensive about them, I started crying. I was out of control. I said, I can't live like this anymore. Do you not realize we buried five of our friends in one year's time? And the six, if I had my best friend's girlfriend, she went home and hung herself. So that's six people. And the other five were, two were shot to death, three of them overdosed. I said, I'm tired of burying all my friends. <laughs> and I can't live like this anymore. I just can't do it. If you guys think you can't have at it, I'm not mad at you, but I'm going home tomorrow. And, you know, if you want to make fun of me, that's fine. I'm going home to my mom and dad's house because I can't be around drug dealers and drug people anymore. I'm going to die soon if I don't get this straightened out. And, of course, they were just mad at me because I messed with their head. You know, when you get your head on, that's what we used to call it. Or then if somebody's trying to mess you up, you feel like, what a bummer. So I was the bummer to them. I wasn't trying to bum them out. I was just trying to express something. And I left the next day and went home. And I went to, to my mom. She was more of the spokesman for the family. I said, Mom, I need a place that I can rest and sleep. I'm not going to sleep my life away. But I got to stay away from all my friends that are drug users because I'm messed up. I know you are, son. But I'll let you give you two weeks, and then you're going to get a job, and you're going to pay rent. You can't have girls in the house with you. You can't drink alcohol in here. You can't do drugs in here. You got it? Yes, ma'am, I got it. I just need a place that I'm going to be able to rest and go to bed at night, not feeling like I'm going to get high again. Because I'm just out there, and I, I just am so vulnerable right now. And she agreed, and she took me in. And so I thought I liked this girl and started going back to the Baptist church that I'd grown up in. And I thought I liked this girl. She's 18, I'm 21, and her parents know me because my mother turned my name into the prayer people every Wednesday night. 
and would tell them, my son's a drug addict and he's going to get killed or kill somebody, pray for him. So you can imagine her father, I eventually had a girl, she was my firstborn, I know how men feel about their, their little girls. But anyway, back then, and he said, you're not allowed in this home without us here, and if we find you here, that's it. And said, you can take her to church, you may take her to get a hamburger, but you're not going to date her, date her. And he was pretty firm with me, and I said, yes, sir, I understand. So she wanted to go to a youth meeting in Dayton, and I knew the guy that was preaching. He was a neighbor to my mother up the street. And anyway, so I go to this youth meeting with her. I've got longer hair than any of the girls there at all. i got a big <laughs> ponytail down. I was a mess. I had a beard. You know, I looked a little bit like Grizzly Adams, I think. I don't know. But I was really skinny because I'd shot dope for three years, you know. And... The guy preaching, I don't remember where he said, but he got to the end. He said, I want everybody to bow your head. I want, to ask, I want you to ask Jesus if you know him. So I just thought, well, I'm going to do that. Because I, I told my mother just two to three days before I went to that meeting with her, this girl. I said, Mom, I don't know what to do about my life. I am so frustrated right now. There's no drug that satisfies me. There's no girl that satisfies me. And I messed up. <laughs> and I don't know what to do. Of course, she's praying for me the whole time. And she's not trying to preach me into the carpet at home because she's already preached to me most of my life. And so I bowed my head and I said, Lord, do I know you're not? I said, no, you don't. You just know about me. But if you'll come forward tonight, I'll put your life together. I just got up and walked up with all the 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids. Prayed with the preacher. And when I went home, I went back another way. Not geographically, but spiritually. So... Next Saturday, I went to pick her up, and she met me at the door with a new Bible and said, take the Bible and get out of my life. Don't call me. I don't want to know you anymore. I don't want to be around you. Okay, bye-bye. But I had the Bible, and I was born again now. So I started reading my Bible. Anyway, that was it's quite an experience here. And what, I, what I was bringing this out is the voices here in Revelation 8 and 3. When the prayers came up, the angel mixed stuff from heaven with it and threw it back in the earth. And one of the manifestations was voices would came. I never saw Jesus in the bathroom, but when he began to speak, I just knew it was him. I don't You say, how'd you know that? I don't know. I just knew that I knew. And I responded to him. I came home. One of my, good, one of my sons said to me recently, isn't that something? If you hadn't had that vision, you probably would have just died as a drug addict. Because it just becomes more intense. You know, when you start doing stuff and it's just, you're making 50 bucks doing that, but when you got, you know, $7,000 on the table and everybody in the room's packing a gun, you got to watch what you do and what you say because people would want your money and your dope and just waste you right there. Anyway, I'm not trying to over-dramatize anything. It's just, it became more and more intense. All right. So, anyway, 19, let's move ahead. I got saved in December 71. And I met the woman I married in May of 72. And I was sick. I, 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 went to, I went to a cement plant. This is how messed up I was. This is after I gave my life to the Lord. I went to a cement plant and I went to, what do you call it, human resources. And they had a one-page document you need to fill out. I mean, it's basic stuff. It's not like I'm trying to be a nuclear scientist. You follow me? They're just going to put a hard hat on me and a shovel and a wheelbarrow and say, get with it, guy. Or we're going to fire you immediately, you know. So I'm at the cement plant, and I go into Human Resources, and they gave me one, just one page, just one And I sat at a little desk. They had a desk with a little level thing on it where you could write. And I'm there for an hour and 20 minutes. And you talk about feeling mental. Yeah. 
Man, I, I mean, there was six or seven other people came into that office, got their paper, sat down, filled it out, turned it back to the lady behind the desk, and I think they talked for a minute. I heard them talking. And I'm still sitting there after six or seven people have already come in and left. Oh, man, you talk about feeling weird. And so I was still a tough guy. I thought I was. You know, I'm really not a tough guy, but, you know, I didn't want to break down and cry in front of other humans and adults right then and be a big baby. But I sure felt like it. So I held it in until I got back to the parking lot, which was a half a mile away. And I got in my car, and I just started really crying. I said, Father, am I going to be mentally handicapped the rest of my life? <laughs> and the devil spoke to me. I mean, this is the only time God's ever done something like this for me, Jordan. I'm going to tell you right here. And the devil said, yeah, and you did it to yourself, Hot Rod. How's that feel? I mean, he was just grinding my nose and my, my shame, my humiliation, and not having a mind anymore that's workable hardly. And all of a sudden, Jesus said to him, you shut up, Satan, get out of here. And he said to me, then he said to me, Michael, you're going to be all right. It may not happen tomorrow, but you're going to be okay. I was just so thankful because I thought, I can't even fill out a one-page questionnaire, and I've been in here an hour and 20 minutes. I don't even think I answered a question or two on it. I just turned it back in. They did hire me later, but <laughs> maybe they like me. I don't know. But All right. You still here with me? And I had problems with my mind even after I got married. I got married in 73. I saved in 71. got married in 73. And my wife would say things to me. She paid attention. And she thought she was a drug person. I said, honey, you're never a drug person. You're a play with that drug person. You, you don't know much about it. And it's good you don't. I wouldn't want you in that group. <laughs> so you follow me? She'd say to me, what did we have for dinner last night? And I would say something, and she said, no, that's not the right answer. And he'd think, think, think with me. And then I'd name something else. No, I, that's not what you had. She said, you know, I'm starting to be concerned for your memory. You, you just seem like you don't have a memory. I said, well, I don't know what's the matter with me, but I'm going to believe God that I'm going to get better. And then, you know, I started, remember, the one girl gave me a Bible, and I'm reading it constantly, you know, and I don't know much, and I'm going to a Baptist church, and, of course, I figured after a while they knew a lot more than me, but they didn't know much in comparison to what I know now. Oh, my. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. <laughs> and so she said to me after about maybe another year, I was witnessing to somebody coming out of a restaurant, and I stood on the sidewalk, and she was by me. And we got in the car, and she said, Do you know, Michael, you quoted eight verses, and you told the man what it said, and you told him what the reference was for it, the chapter and the verse. I said, I did? She said, yeah, you did. So God must be doing something to your brain and your mind, your memory. He's healing that. And, and I, I think he did. He healed all that through his word. He sent his word and healed us. We don't, we don't think it's physical, but it, mental too. Yeah. All right. Let me move on to 1983. I, I started studying angels in uh, 1980. I'd been studying on it for three years. And... Uh, and I was a traveling minister back then for a period of time. And a friend of mine that had a church in Louisville asked me to come preach on angels. So I said, well, I'd love to. But, you know, looking back, I thought, what did I teach those people? I hope I made sense. <laughs> that was so way back in that, you know, way back. I'd only studied them for three years. But, you know, when people don't know much about something, you could get away with that. I wasn't trying to get away with that. I was trying to be diligent. But you can only learn so much every day. Three years compared to 42 now. 
that's quite a difference. So anyway, I, I said to the pastor, I knew him, I said, when I got there, I said, hey, you got a place I could just get alone with God? No offense to you, but I'd like to just be alone for a minute and go pray. He said, sure, go down to the radio room, down the steps, go to the second door, and just go in, and there's a desk in there and a chair, and there's all kinds of radio equipment. That's all that's in It's like a little closet. So I knelt down by the chair. It had arms on it, and I was worshiping God. And all of a sudden, you know, I didn't have anything that this was ever going to happen. And I came out of my body, and I was going forward this time. Came out, and I was floating this way, but I looked back as I was leaving that room. And I saw my body back there, but I saw an angel holding this arm up, an angel holding this arm up. I didn't ask God about it then. I just thought, well, that's odd. You know, I'd never seen that particular manifestation until that moment. Later in time, when I got my senses more attuned, I asked him, what's with the angels? And they said, well, he quoted James, you know, the body without the spirit's dead. I can't, if, if you, so he said, I put those angels to keep your body function while you're away. And when I came to, I was in a huge room. I mean, I was in a little closet, a radio room. It wouldn't even hold hardly two or three people. You'd be crowded. And I ended up in a big room. This sanctuary would be maybe from that glass to that wall. If you roll it two or three times, maybe, or at least two, and maybe the same on the length of this thing, about twice. And it was, I didn't count them. There was a thousand angels in that room. That's all was in that room, just angels. Different sizes, different shapes. Uh, some of them, I would say now, thinking back, some of them had a stronger anointing than others. And uh, it was awesome. I just couldn't explain it hardly. But when I came to myself, I'm still on my knees, but I'm in this big room now. I'm not in heaven, but I'm somewhere in between heaven and earth. I know that. And it's a real room, and there's real beings there. And the one in the front, pretend he's in the front, and he, I'm looking at him. I'm knelt his way facing. And he went like this. We're excited you're teaching about us, Michael. For we, and he went, we've desired. He went like that. All of We've desired to be involved in the body of Christ, and they won't let us. And then whoop, I found myself drifting back out of that room and came back into my body that was by that chair when I got fully uh, inside myself, my physical body. I, and I just went up and preached. And he said, did you tell the people that? And I, no, I didn't say anything. Because I'm still trying to register all that that angel said to me. And, you know, it was overwhelming to me. And then that, that last four words, I meditated on it for four months. They won't let us. And when I meditated on it for four months, it dawned on me, and I said out loud, I was by myself, I must have authority, and the body must have authority I don't know anything about. If we're holding them back, we're restraining them. They can't override us. Listen to what I'm saying. If you don't talk to them and talk to them correctly, they will not be able to help you. You have to say something to activate them. We learned that last night. Something else. <laughs> Hallelujah. But I've, even, even today sometimes, you know, they come. I have two that come quite often periodically to me. Or maybe one will say something to me and say, we're still excited you're teaching about us, Michael. That was back in 1983 when that vision happened. That's a long time back. So anyway, I'm going to move on here because we've got a couple things to do tonight. Is that okay? Every, every vision is a little different, too. And then 1987. Now, I started a church in 85, and you heard me the other day. I said, 
you know, when you start a church, I don't care what country you're in, I don't care what city you're in, I don't care what language you speak, what your money denomination is, yep. you know, right. every country I've been in has money, but it's not called dollars and cents. Everybody starts a new church. You, you better get ready because you the devil will throw everything he can at you those first couple of years because you're just a young plant yeah. trying to grow up, and it's easy to pull you out of the ground and throw you aside and dry you out. Yeah. And I mentioned about, you know, it seems like when you first start church, all the weirdos that have been in all the other churches in the city come to your church to try to be a weirdo to you or try to take over and tell you how you ought to run everything, and they're not even faithful to come regularly. They just come in, want to do, take over the singing, take over the prayer meeting, take over the preacher. Anyway, I've been there. I've been there back a couple times. So, anyway, praise the Lord. 1987 came. I was so depressed. I tell you my, I tell you my hiccups and my disobediences too. I know you have some. I'm not going to give you a mic because we'd be here all night, you know, if you're honest. But I was just beat up and beat down right then after two years of dealing with a new church. And I was in my office and all of a sudden two angels showed up. And they always call me Michael and only one of them talks. They don't try to talk over each other. They're very polite. And they don't try to talk to me except one. And he said, Michael, we've come to help this thing turn for you. And so I said, well, I'm not interested right now. Now, I know you can't believe I said that, but I did. And they, they just disappeared. I thought, oh my gosh, I've done messed myself up now. But, you know, I was depressed and confused. I, know, I don't know about you. That was just a momentary thing. But my mind was so confused right then. I can't believe I did that. I'm telling you what I did. So I got my briefcase together and went out in my car and got in and started down the freeway. And all of a sudden, they appeared in the car. The one didn't talk was in the passenger side up front with me the one that's quiet's in the back seat they didn't open the door either to get in they just appeared and the one here he looked at me he was so earnest and I mean it just broke me he said now the Lord said to tell you he said this in the office but I said I don't want to fool with it he said the Lord said tell you Michael you know more than most people it's going to be required of you to agree with why we came and to release us or we're not going to be able to function in it I thought that's interesting. And the Bible says, unless two be in agreement, how can we walk together? Wow. Yep. I'm so mental at that moment and so beat up from just different things that had happened. And so I'm in the car now, and he turns to me and he says, I told you once, I'm going to tell you again, and if you don't respond, we're going to leave you, and that's the way it's going to stay. God sent us to you to help you at this moment. But you're going to have to talk to us. You're going to have to release an agreement with God to help turn this situation for you. And he just got to me. I don't know. When he was in the car, I just felt very overwhelmed by his words. I said, okay, I agree. Go and turn this thing for me and turn it around and get, get me delivered from all this right now. And I mean, within 24 hours, I could tell that thing lifted. Now, everything didn't straighten out like in the natural, you might think. But I knew it was going to. Just in 24-hour period. So I know you're, hard, you're still wondering, why did you do that? I don't know. Why do you do what you do? Maybe you didn't always say the right thing either. Yeah, look at me now. They've helped me a great deal. I'm so thankful for them. Uh, now, I wanted to say something to you. Now, I've been teaching this for, I don't know. I don't have a date on these notes here. Uh, 
quite a while on these are the major visions I've had. There's about eight or nine of them. And the Lord said to me, I don't know where, let me think a minute. I think it was in Nashville, Tennessee, talking about the same subject. I got to this vision, 1987, how the angels came to turn it. And he said, you always tell those people, and you always tell the truth about it. I like that about you, that you were a mess. (laughs) And you just tell them you were a mess, and I shouldn't have treated those angels that way. I'm surprised they didn't vanish and stay vanished. Because I'm the one in authority. But they, but they made an effort to come back to me in the, on the freeway, you know. And then when I told them to go and be released, they just disappeared. But they turned that thing around. Yeah. But the Lord said to me, you always tell that story. You tell it exactly the way it happened, but you never give the people a chance to get involved with that. Oh, and I said, what do you mean? He said, well, I want you to start in the meetings I tell you to. And he told me to do that tonight is to give you a chance to something in your life, the main thing on your thinking that needs to turn in your life. And I'm going to ask you in just a minute to come up here and to um, stand with me in just a minute. And if you'll come up here and stand with me, I will pray a prayer with you verbally to release the angels that have you you in their care. And they can go forth and turn the thing for you, whatever. With, uh, you know, 40 or 50 people, however many is here, I didn't count. Every one of you have something maybe a little different. Could be money. It could be your marriage. Could be raising your kids. Could be in your future. It might mean getting older. What does that mean to you? Is it a problem? Don't let it be. Release your faith. The angels will go and turn that and show you how to live out a full life. I started thinking about living a long time when I was 38 because I had a pain in my side for 14 years. And I, after three years of that, it wore me down so bad. I said, Father, I think I'm just going to come on home. He said, Michael, I'm going to warn you. Your faith is starting to get tied to heaven. And if you ever get that, um, what did he call it, like a hologram complete in heaven, you're coming out of your body then whether you want to or not. And you're going to forfeit a lot of things I was going to use you to do. And, and then I thought later, my son wouldn't even been born. He's pastor of the church we started. Think about that. He said, you're starting to get close to having more faith to come home than you are to stay and live it out. I said, well, I don't know what you want from me. He said, I want you to get a hold of yourself and quit thinking this way is what I want. Of course, I I don't want anybody else to pray about it because he's the only one. But I said, well, I'm going to have to get back with you. I'm going to think about what you just said to me. And it took me two weeks. I didn't pray about it because he wasn't talking to me about it. I said, don't bring it up to me again until you're ready to talk to me. I said, Okay. So I went back to him. This is what I said. I'm just talking about me, not you. I repent for thinking like that. And I'm willing, this is what I said, I'm willing to stay in the earth as long as it takes to get this thing off me and fulfill your will for my life. I was 38 years old. And then the thing stayed on me another 11 years before it left. (laughs) Dr. Dufresne got into my life, and he's the prophet that spoke to me. That, That pain in your side will leave you, Michael. I mean, I've been to Methodist Hospital, I've been to ORU. You know, they make you do, uh, you're almost ashamed. They take all your clothes off, stick stuff up, you put it up in your system and look at, it, at you on a table through, you know, either uh, MRI or whatever they use, different, different. Because you're in so much pain. I begged this one doctor, just put me on the table and slip me open and see what's going on. I can't do that. Are you listening to me? And I went to one guy, and he gave me some medication, and I, and I took about two or three nights of it, and I said, hey, I came back, and I said, I don't want that. I was once a drug addict, illegal. I don't want to be a pharmaceutical addict. I appreciate, Doc, you're trying to help me, but I'm not going to live like that. 
and so, you know. So then I started thinking, because I said I would stay, I said I ought to think more about getting older than where I'm at now or older than that. So you need to think right, and you need to be planning to live a long time. I mean, I'm only 72. I know I don't look it, but I am. I'm 72. I got a driver's license I can show you. Now, the reason I'm saying that is you can't wait till you get 70 years old and try to figure out if you're going to live a long time. That's not going to work. Most cases, it's not. Because you might have a bad report that you're not able to defend that and get that out of you, but you've got to if you're going to live. I'm making things up, but I'm just talking to you about reality. Yeah. And then when my wife passed, I was with her, of course, and she, she was laying there. You know, she wasn't laying there. Her body was. And uh, this thought ran across my mind real quick. I think I'll just go home, too. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Now, listen, I have a relationship with him. I'm sure you do, too, but I'm going to tell you what he said to me. Right? I mean, immediately. He didn't, he didn't let me think about it at all. He said, Michael, you told me when you were 38 you would stay in the earth and fulfill my will for your life. You're not, even, you're not even near towards going home yet. Come on. Get that out of your thinking. You yeah. You're healthy and I'm going to use you. Yeah. See, he reminded me of pro- a promise I made when I was 38. I don't know how many years that is from 72, but quite a way back. Yeah. Yeah. But he held me to it. He said, I'm going to hold you to it. Remember you told me when you went to ministry, you'd go anywhere in the planet I sent you as long as your kids fell in love with me and stayed true to me. I said, that's exactly right. I'm going to hold you to it too. <laughs> And I have, you know, I'll do what you want, but you're going to keep, help keep my kids in love with you and help them find somebody that loves God at least as much as I do or better. Are you listening to me? I'm just sharing from my heart for a minute, giving you a chance to think about what is the premier thing you would, you don't need to verbally say anything to me, but that you'd like to see turned. It could be money. It could be a job. It could be your future. It could be raising your kids. Or maybe you got a habit you need to turn, you need to turn away from it because it's going to drag you down a hill that you don't want to get there. You know what I'm saying? And it don't have to be you're shooting dope and sleeping around. How about strife? How about doubt? How about fear? All those things that try to enforce their will on you when you talk wrong and think wrong. I'm just talking. I'm not accusing anybody. I'm just talking. Yeah. So I'd like you to stand up with me, and, and I want you to just come up. Uh, and, and gather up around the altar with me. I'm going to pray with you in just a second. And we're going to release our faith together for the angels to help you turn some things. Is that okay? I think it's wonderful, don't you? Yes. If the Lord hadn't said that to me in Nashville, I'd probably still been teaching it just about my, flip, my attitude and what I didn't do right at the time. But see, no, come on up. I'm not going to lay hands on anybody. Just crowd around. I'm sorry. And I, I, yet I will in a minute. Because I have some specific things to do, if that's okay with the pastors. I think that would, yeah. you know, your pastor here, Pastor Ken, he's like a walking concordance. Yeah. I mean, I had lunch with him today for a couple of hours. He probably quoted 37 scriptures. I mean, and I like that about him. I like that word in his thinking all the time. He's always putting the, Amen. and your pastor, I mean, who couldn't love a lady like that? She is so sweet. Got a good spirit and everything. I said it's going to be an interesting meeting because I didn't know them. And I said, I'm, we'll, we'll go, we're going to, I said to Pastor Mark, no, they're going with me. We're going to go meet some new people. We're going to get to know them. And it's been wonderful. We've had a good time.
Now, I'd like you just to say this with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the angels that have charge over me. And I release them in Jesus' name to go and turn that situation for me right now. I command you to go and change this thing for me in the name of Jesus. And I believe, I receive it, and it's changing. It's changing. It's changing. It's changing in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you for moving and flowing and changing things for everybody here. And by the power of the living God, and we, when we pray, we believe we receive it. And we thank you for the angels going forth now to change things for us in the area that, we, that you know is in our heart, the premier thing we were thinking about when we came forward. And we thank you so much for that. We thank you that we have divine help. We have a benefit in the angels. that gives us an advantage. Like you said that that's what a benefit meant, an advantage or an aid or a help to help us. And we're so thankful. The angels never sleep. The angels never die. And so the angels that work with us, they're alive and full of energy and full of health and full of strength. And they're going forth. They're already moving in behalf of the covenant to do what we ask them to do in the name of Jesus. And we thank you for it. Let's just lift our hands and thank you. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your ministering spirits helping us today. We take advantage in the right way of what's been provided for us by you by giving angels charge over each one of us and our mates and our children, our grandchildren and so forth. And we thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Praise you, Father. Now, I'd like to just have you go back to your seats, but uh, other than people that are in fivefold ministry, I'd like you to stay up here, Pastor Mark and Dona and Pastor Jackie and Pastor Ken. And where is that young lady that's going to go to Pastor Nancy's Bible school? Is she still in here? Can you get her? Thank you. Alexa, is that her name? Yeah. Yeah. And then I wondered about you, Lonnie, and your wife. You guys have already been to Bible school, but I think God's going to use you. Would you come stand over here, if you would, for me? You too? I'd like that. I'm just going to minister to you. And hallelujah. You could step back a few feet for me, everybody. And I'm going to wait for Alexa, too, because she's coming. And if I got something, I'll say it. And if I don't, you know, it's just an anointing to help you. And this is how I do it anymore. I'm a little older now. And the Lord said I would have a portion of the younger generation to help them. So I'm considering you young. Yes. <laughs> and me too. Amen. But my point is, I just say I'm releasing what I have in me to go into people. And then it's your part to pray and get the mind of God on what part that might be. Yeah. You know, I mean, some of the gifts in me operate strong, stronger than others that you might pick that up or you might not. You pick up other things that you need. Okay, here she is. Come over here, Alexa. Thank you for a minute. As you're getting ready to go to Bible school and you, you feel a calling of some sort, don't you? Okay, let me ask the pastor one more question. Pastor Jackie, is there somebody you know out here that needs to be up here? And if not, that's fine. I just want to make it, let your opinion, if you feel like it's some, I missed somebody. 
I was trying to deal with people that I felt like there was some kind of divine call on them. McKenna, where's she at? Is she here tonight? Oh, they're going back to the reliever. You want me to pray for John then? Is that what you meant? And the other girl. Okay, yeah, I'll be glad to. I'm just trying to check it out with you because you know people better than I do. I mean, unless you're uncomfortable with me praying for you up in the line, I'd like to lay hands on you. And I just say whatever you could receive, take it according to your faith. That doesn't make you a prophet just because I'm ministering to you, but I have things in my mantle that are a little different than maybe others. And that's why we're all unique. I never feel superior to anybody. I mean, a pastor, I consider the pastor most essential because they run the churches. And I was a pastor for over 30 years. And I think I was just intimidated to try to step over into that. And Dad Dufresne worked on me constantly. Is this her? This the other lady I'm going to pray. Okay. Hallelujah. I'm glad I asked you that, Pastor. I wanted to lay my hands on you that are called to ministry. And I asked Pastor, is there anybody not here that should be up here? So she mentioned you. And John, did you mean John too? Do you want to step over here, John? We'll get another usher if we need him. Father, we thank you for the anointing. I pray that when I lay hands on them, that things will be imparted to them that they could use, that'll be strengthening to them, and it'll be used by them to further the gospel and to help the body of Christ. I thank you each one of these are unique and powerful in their own right and I pray that I could just add something to them from my mantle so receive in the name of Jesus receive that in the name of Jesus receive that Alexa strong anointing on you Alexa here I'm hitting your foot strong anointing on you for future so remember that and if you pray a little longer and then get quiet a little longer God's going to reveal more to you you got a powerful anointing on you lady Receive that anointing, fresh anointing on you to fulfill what God's put in you. Fresh anointing on you to fulfill what God's put in you. You're going to be a preacher. Hallelujah. It's going to come out of your mouth, the Word of God, and minister to people. You're going to start walking in some other things concerning the gifts of the Spirit. Take that, Pastor. Let that go in you and minister to you to help fulfill everything that God has for you to fulfill. Pastor Jackie, receive that. The power of God go in her, Father, to fulfill things that needs fulfilled in her life and the Lord said tell you you're going to you're going to live a, a lot longer so just remember that and be thinking like that and God's going to strengthen you and lengthen your days hallelujah hallelujah pastor Mark received that fresh anointing for your life and for your church and donor you too in the name of Jesus let the power of God rest on all of these father in a supernatural way I pray in the name of Jesus hallelujah Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Okay, you know, I was thinking of that too, the praise and worship leader and your wife, but your wife went back to get somebody. But Mark, I will pray for you and your wife when we get her relieved because she went back to take somebody's place. I've started to ask you about Brother Mark. Yeah, but then I forgot. She'll be back in a minute. Then I think I have one more thing to do tonight. 
see if anybody needs to respond to that in just a minute. Every service is different. Hallelujah. You know, sometimes we just need a refreshing to come from somebody outside ourselves. I mean, Dr. Dufresne, I mean, almost every meeting I was in with him for 20 years, he either laid hands on me or he ministered in the Word while he was teaching God ministered to me. But more often than not, he'd lay hands on me had opportunity. And I appreciate that. I received something. I got something. A lot of people say, you're mine as a dad to train. I say, I receive that as a compliment. I'm not trying to be him. If I'm trying to be him pretending, that's evil. But I'm Michael Jacobs, but I'm his son. And after 20 years of impartations, you'd think some of it would stuck. You, you see what I'm, I'm just being serious. It's stuck in me. And so some people say, when you're in the spirit, you're mine as him. Well, good. I'm, and that was just my daddy. And I loved him dearly, and he sure imparted to me. And he saw that in me in the beginning stages of my relationship with him. I knew it was there, but I couldn't quite fathom what that entailed. You know, walk away from my church and start another road ministry. I did that for three years earlier in my life. And it's a whole other set of circumstances. But anyway, I got it. I got it. Pastor Mark, I was going to use you. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, a fresh anointing on you, sir. Hallelujah. And your wife, too, a fresh anointing on you. And move with God and flow with Him. And obey the Spirit. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. We thank you for this couple, Father, what you have for them in the future. And all of these that were up here in this line, we thank you how you're going to use them. And, Father, let them dream big. Let them dream big. Let them think that, Father, you're going to take them places that they need to go because you're in them and you're working in them. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. All right. You might want to watch him for a minute and her too. Hallelujah. Do you preach? Do you preach? You do? You have a few times. Okay, shut your mouth a minute. There's going to be a new anointing on your lips to speak. So just let that go in you. And it'll minister to you. This lady right here, man, she's she's got a strong anointing too. This woman right here, this young lady, Sonia, yeah, yeah. And I could see it on you last night when you stood up. It's not about her talking about me. It's about talking about things of God that I appreciated her doing. So praise God. It's coming on you, and you're going to start moving in the Holy Ghost too. So receive that. Sometimes you got to get out of your own head. I got to get out of my head to do. You know, I've only hit two women in my life. My mother told me never hit a lady. But one lady got in the prayer line one time and she said, You think God's got anything for this? She had a little coat on, pulled it back. It looked like you'd cut a grapefruit in two and put the half of it on here. It was a tumor. And before I know what I did, I just punched her. Just, I mean, it was just this far away from her. And the thing just flattened under my hand. And she said, well, where'd it go? I said, don't look for it. It's swallowed up of life. If some people worry about anything. Where'd that tumor go? Don't worry about it. It's gone. <laughs> then I had another lady come in line with me. She had depression. I got to her. She was a member of my church. I was over at an African-American church in Louisville. We would change pulpits once a year. And uh, boy, we had a meeting. And I had a word about depression. People got in line. And this one lady in my church, her name's Tawanta. She thinks she's an Indian with that name, but she, she's not. She's just a white girl. 
And the Lord, when I got to her, the Lord said, hit her in the stomach as hard as you can. Oh, my God. So you had been proud of me. I laid hands on her head, and I did a very good pastoral prayer. You would have said amen when I got done. But God was totally disturbed by that. And after she stood there for a minute, she turned around to go back to her seat. She started away from me, and the Lord yelled at me. I heard him. I don't think anybody. Are you going to obey me or not? I said, if you want to come back, God's got something special for you. And I'm so thankful she came back and really thankful she shut her eye and lifted her hands. I let her have it. The Lord said, and her husband's in the meeting. He's a Marine. Just got back from Afghanistan, active duty. He's 6'2". He's dressed in his, you know, outfit because he's proud to be a Marine. I, I liked him. He was a good friend. I said, oh, God, this has got to work. I'm going to beat up in the Procker lot. And I just let her have it. But when I hit her in, in the stomach, the spirit came out of her chest, kind of wiggled out of her chest. A bird-looking creature, but he had a demonic head. I've seen him before. But with her, I saw it, and he kind of went like that, and then he flew through that wall. So after the service, she comes up to me, and I, I said, did they tell you I hit you? Kind of, she said, I never felt it. All I felt was the anointing. But something odd happened to me. I said, what's that? And this is what she did, just what I showed you. She said, something came out of my chest. She said, it kind of wiggled. As it, I said, it was a it's the spirit of depression in you. It would look like a bird had a demonic head, and it flew through that wall. You got delivered. So I guess I'm betting a thousand hit two ladies and they're still alive and healed and well, didn't break any ribs, didn't hurt anybody. Are you listening? Because my mother said, don't ever hit a woman. If I ever hear you did that, you're going to get it from me. And I think my mom could have whipped me too. She was a tough lady. Okay, I got one more thing if anybody needs to respond. If you're depressed and you feel like you just stayed in that mode for a long time and it's been hard for you to break free, I want you to come up here and I'll pray for you. I'm saying to everybody here, we're going to rebuke the devil off of you. Doesn't mean you're evil, just means that something's tried to get a hold of you and slow you down. Hallelujah. Praise God. It's going to work. It's going to work. It's going to work, sir. Glad you came tonight. In the name of Come out of him. I rebuke that thing that's driven you, that's tormented you, that's harassed you. In the name of Jesus, I command every bit of it to loose you and go from you now. In the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, come out. I take authority over that and break its power in your life. In Jesus' name, come out. I break that thing over your life in the name of Jesus. Come out of her. I rebuke you and command your power broken over her mind, her emotions. Bring her soul out of prison that she may praise you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Come out of her, I said. Every bit of that to go from you. In Jesus' mighty name. And there it went. In the name of Jesus, come out. I rebuke that thing in your life. Come out. I rebuke that thing. Command it to loose you in the name of Jesus. Come out in the name of Jesus. Command that to loose you in the name of Jesus. Name. Come out of her. I break your power over her life in the soul realm, in the emotional realm, in the mental realm. And I command your power broken over her right now. And you're setting her free in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay, I'm coming down here. There's some other people that came. I, okay. You. In the name of Jesus, come out. I break your power over this lady in Jesus' name. My sister in Christ. Command that thing to quit tormenting you, quit harassing you. In Jesus' name, go. In Jesus' name. 
command that to be broken over your life. There it is. It just left you. In Jesus' name, come out! I break your power over this lady's life. In Jesus' name, command you to flee from her. And then there it is. It just left you. Jim, hey, in the name of Jesus, come out! I break your power over this young man. Command the power of God to go in and make him whole. I rebuke this thing that's tried to harass you and discourage you. And I pray for the Spirit of God to rise up big in you now and to live in victory in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. You got it. You got it. I think that's everybody I prayed for. I'm good to go. Okay, I'm sorry. One more. Anybody else need to come forward? <laughs> Thank you, Heavenly Thank you. In Jesus' name, come out of her. I break your power over her Thank mind. In the name of Jesus, I command your power broken. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Every bit of that to leave you. Hallelujah. Praise God. In the name of Jesus, come out. I break your power over my brother. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it, Father. Amen and amen. Hey, you got it. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Pastor, I'm going to defer back to you, I guess, or one of you. Pastor, thank you, Father. Oh, thank you, Father. Hmm. Father, thank you, Father. Man, thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Well, I get the uh, privilege of, of being a help by receiving the offering tonight. So, ushers, would you serve the people with an envelope? If you need one, raise your hand. Hallelujah. If you're making a check, just make it payable to LW or Living Word. The church doesn't keep any of that. It'll all get put into one big offering. And we will send Dr. Jacobs away blessed. In the name of Jesus. You know, it'd be nice. This is this is the longest set of meetings we had. Let's see if we can give the biggest offering we've ever given. You know, this is a stretch. Stretch, you know. You, know, you follow God, you know. If you, you know, don't don't overstretch because then you get an injury. But do, do what God's telling you to do. Hallelujah. It's kind of... If I can tell you real quick, what kind of what's happening on the inside of me while he's talking, if, if you, some you might think that if you're just listening naturally, you might just think he's telling stories. But in those stories is impartations, is is help for the future, like he said, a refreshing. Mm -hmm. I'll help you, sister. <laughs> Hallelujah. They're gonna help you. Yeah, take your time. Take your time. Take your time. Take your time. Yeah. That's all right. Refreshing. Yeah, yeah it, it's all, I almost, if you could imagine one of those, the fourth, on the 4th of July, one of those sparklers, that's what it feels like is happening on the inside, just like electricity almost. Huh. But at the same time, it's very refreshing. It's like, I, it's hard to explain, but it, there's help coming in these stories. There's instruction, correction, uh, answers to things. I know we've all Good. probably had some sort of experience, kind of like what he's talking about. And as he's talking, the light bulb's clicking on. Oh, that's why I saw that. Oh, that's what that was. Yes. You know, oh my goodness. So I'm so helped. So if 
you've been blessed. Let's let's uh, let's respond. We've been responding in the service. Continue to to respond. Continue to pull. We got another service, but don't unhook spiritually sitting here responding. But let's not unhook financially. Let's let's stay hooked up. And let's send this man away blessed. Let's send the prophet, send the prophet away blessed. In the name of Jesus. So, uh, if you have your offering ready, just hold it up. We're, we're going to pray over that real quick. Thank you, Father, so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the refreshing. Thank you for the refreshing. Thank you for sending the prophet to this church to bring refreshing words, to bring help, to bring what we need. Father, we're so grateful. And we thank you that you, when we honor what you've given to us, what you've sent to us, that you get on what we are honoring. We honor you, you get on what, what's important to us, Father. So we thank you that you get on our giving in the name yes. of Jesus. And, and it, it's abundantly blessed. Dr. Jacobs is abundantly blessed. And we say all the money that he and his ministry need, it comes way far over and above all that he or we could dare ask or imagine. We thank you for it, Father. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Once the uh, buckets have gone past you, you can be dismissed. And don't forget to visit that book table. Man, those books he was speaking about, uh, take them home with you. So, so once the bucket goes past you, you're dismissed. Be blessed, and we will see you tomorrow night.